All creation longs for the coming of its king. We join with creation looking forward to the arrival of the kingdom. We gather to share stories of God's faithfulness. To celebrate what he's done in the past and to anticipate his coming again. We look forward in hope. This is Advent where we prepare to welcome Merry Christmas season, redemption, to everyone in the house and all our family watching online. It's great to be together. You know, the hardest thing about being a kid in the Christmas season is waiting to open presents. I don't know if you can remember being a kid and like shaking the boxes, trying to hear what's going on inside, what rattles, you know, not shaking too hard though. You don't want to break it or scouring your parents' closets looking for the hidden receipts. Now, my, my brother, when we were kids, he found a little trick, a secret that he learned, which is he'd bring out the scissors, and he found, uh, if the kids are in the room right now, you want to plug their ears so they don't hear this, but he would kind of lift the package upside down and cut a little hole in it, like a flap, you know, to see what the box, and then wrap it back up, or even on the side, the little flaps, you kind of undo the tape to pull it up and then put it and tape it back together. <laughs> But we were very anxious to get a peek at what was inside the gift. In the famous holiday movie, it's a classic, a Christmas story. Ralphie Parker is nine years old, and all he wants for Christmas, all he wants is a Red Ryder carbine action, 200-shot range model air rifle. Right? But his mom says no. His teacher, Miss Shields, says no. Even Santa Claus at the Higby's department store says no. Like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yet Ralphie remains undeterred. Even in the face of such opposition, even through such darkness, his hope is set. His eyes are set on Christmas morning. And when it finally comes, he and his brother rip and tear into those presents, every last one. And then the old man brings out the last gift, the biggest gift, the greatest gift. He tears into it and pulls open the box and discovers that Red Rider BB gun. He falls asleep with it that night, laying by his side and says, it was the best Christmas present I ever received. He sleeps and he rests in peace because his hope has been fulfilled. Well, this morning, we're going to see how Jesus is hope fulfilled. We're in Mark chapter one. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn there. Or if you want to pull it up on your phone, we're in Mark chapter one. And we're going to see how Mark introduces us to Jesus in his gospel as the fulfillment of prophetic hope. We're in a series right now called Welcoming the King, where each week we're looking at how each of the gospel authors introduce us in a unique way to Jesus. Because how you introduce someone is important, right? Like you tend to share that story that really impacted you about them or that characteristic of them that most stands out to you. 
And similarly, each of the gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each introduce us to Jesus differently. So last week we saw how Matthew, his gospel, he introduces us to Jesus's messy family with the genealogy. This week, we're going to see how Mark today introduces us to Jesus as the fulfillment of prophetic hope. It's almost like Mark sees all God's people waiting like kids, eagerly anticipating Christmas morning, looking forward to going, what is going to be inside the gift that God, our heavenly father, is bringing us at Christmas? Mark's going to say the prophets essentially have been like peaks in the wrapping paper, little glimpses, little holes poked in the box that gives us glimpses of what's inside, or better yet, who is inside. What we'll ultimately discover is that the greatest gift God gives us at Christmas is himself. That more than the stuff he brings, God has come to give us himself in Christ for the salvation of the world. And this is hope fulfilled. The title for the message this morning is Hope Fulfilled. So if you want to pull open your Bibles, let's uh, rip off the wrapping paper, open the box, and look at what is inside. Mark chapter 1. We read, the beginning of the gospel, or good news, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus is Israel's God. Jesus is Israel's God come to save his people. Now you might be asking, where, Josh, where does it say that Jesus is God here? Where does it talk about Jesus being Israel's God? Well, Mark says that as it is written in Isaiah, he's quoting here Isaiah 40, verse three. And if we go back to Isaiah and we read the context of what he is saying, Isaiah 40, verse three, the passage he's quoting says this that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh, the Lord. Prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 40 is saying, roll out the red carpet for Yahweh who's coming. Make in the desert this landing strip for the incoming of our God. Now, Yahweh was the name for Israel's God. This wasn't just any generic deity hanging out there. This was the covenant name for Israel's God. Isaiah 40 is saying, make way for the coming of Yahweh. Mark sees Jesus as Yahweh embodied, God in the flesh, come to dwell with his people. Christmas is about the coming of God. The acclaimed New Testament scholar, Richard B. Hayes, he notes how there are many places in the New Testament that would make Jesus' divinity explicit, his deity, like John 1, the word becoming flesh. But he says there are many more places and that, uh, though, that in the way the New Testament quotes from and uses the Old Testament echoes, allusions, things that when we go back and dig into that context, we see, man, these are descriptions that the gospel authors are saying point us to Jesus as the coming of Israel's God, the coming of Yahweh. Christmas is about the coming of God. That means that this is not Ricky Bobby Jesus, right? 
Like if you've seen Talladega Nights, there's a famous scene where Ricky Bobby, the race car driver, you know, he's, he's praying uh, and he prays, you know, dear Lord, baby, sweet baby Jesus, dear six, eight pounds, six pounds, infant Jesus, with your Tonka trucks and your toys and your baby Einstein videos, learning about shapes and colors and such, you know. And when his wife confronts him, why are you still calling it, praying to him as a baby? He's like, I like baby Jesus best, right? But I do think there is a danger at times at Christmas that we can domesticate Jesus. We can create him in our own image. We can project onto him the things that we like best. There is a beauty about Christmas, about the vulnerability of Christ, that he has come vulnerably to dwell with us and be with us as his people. But don't be mistaken. Like there is power in this package. And I wonder how many of us have perhaps domesticated Jesus or projected our own images onto him. As the Talladega Nights scene goes on, uh, they start talking about which Jesus they like best. And one of them's like, oh, I like, you know, tuxedo t-shirt Jesus, who, you know, looks kind of formal, but he's ready to party. Or the other, the kids are like, I like ninja Jesus fighting off samurais. Or the other, like, I like eagle wing Jesus getting ready to fly. You know, we can project our images. But as we approach the Christmas season, Christmas story. I wonder who do you see Jesus as? Is he going to grow up to be just an interesting historical figure or an inspiring ethical teacher? Because Mark would want to say, he's that, but he's so much more. This is the coming of God. Well, why has God come? God has come in Christ to save his people. Back in Isaiah 40, uh, that Mark is quoting, Isaiah 40 is significant. It is the turn or the hinge within the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah, it's so significant, this chapter Isaiah 40 that he's quoting, that many scholars would say like Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are like book 1, and Isaiah 40 to 66 is book 2. And so in book 1, you've got like a lot of the hard things going on, words of judgment and all, but Isaiah 40 becomes the turn to like new creation, where it's like, now this is God's promises. I'm going to come, I'm going to restore, I'm going to bring my people back from exile, I'm going to deliver and save and establish my kingdom and make all things new. This passage talks about the voice or the messenger crying out, which Mark's going to say, that's John the Baptist, fulfills that. And we want to ask this morning, who is the one that John the Baptist is pointing to? Well, Isaiah 40, if we read a little more of the surrounding context just before verse 3, what's just happened in verses 1 and 2? We read this, Isaiah 41. Isaiah 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. God is bringing comfort at Christmas. Jesus has come to comfort and speak tenderly to his people. Goes on and says, speak tenderly to her that her warfare is ended. God has come to bring world peace at Christmas through Christ, an end to warfare. Goes on and says uh, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sins. God has come to bring us many gifts at Christmas. He has come to bring us comfort. He has come to bring us comfort, Isaiah says. He's come to bring us peace and he's come to bring us forgiveness. Who needs some of that this morning, right? Like Jesus has come at Christmas to bring you gifts, gifts of comfort, comfort. 
for you who are feeling just broken this time of the year where you're just going, man, if you've had this feeling like, man, I've just been racked, the things that people have done to me or said about me, or it's just the hardness of this year, Jesus has come at Christmas to speak tenderly to you, to comfort you. Jesus has come to bring you peace for those who are afflicted and whose heart is broken at the state of the world today. And just going, man, it all just seems so broken. Jesus has come to bring you the gift of peace. He is bringing his kingdom and his peace for all creation. To you who feel guilt in this season, who are just going, man, the things that you've done, the weight of your history, the things of your past that just feel so overwhelming and you're like, man, I'm under the guilt and the shame and I just can't seem to move on. I feel stuck. God has come in Christ to bring you forgiveness of sins. He has come to set you free, to free that load off your back and to liberate you into the freedom of his grace and his kingdom. God has come to bring us many gifts at Christmas. But don't miss the greatest gift at Christmas, God himself. That more than coming to bring us stuff, God has come to give us himself. Isaiah 40 goes on to talk about this in verses four to five, the verses that come just after this that Mark is quoting. And so verse four to five, it goes on to say that um, after making straight the highway for our God, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. It's a picture of God humbling the proud and exalting the humble and making the way straight saying, uh, the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The end game is that the glory of the Lord, of Yahweh, God, would be revealed. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. As we approach this gift, this greatest Christmas gift, the biggest, largest one in the center of the room, as we begin to peel back the wrapping paper and poke holes through the box, light becomes streaming out like LED radiant light lighting up the room because Jesus, the child inside, is coming to reveal and bring the glory of God, lighting up all the darkness in his creation. The whole room lights up with his presence because God has come not only to bring us presence like TS, but presence, CE, right? He has come to bring us his presence, the radiant glory of who he is to dwell with us as his people. The greatest gift God gives us at Christmas is himself. More than the stuff, it's the savior, right? Like when you open up that biggest box at the center of the Christmas story, that biggest gift, what you find inside is not an Xbox. It's not a remote control car. It's not like the animal pillow stuffed thing, whatever, right? Like it's not a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. That's the gift that keeps on there giving, Clark, right? Like it's not like the oversized pajamas or the new pair of socks or the bunny rabbit PJs. No, what we discover inside is God himself come to be with us as his people. God has come in Christ to be with us as his people. Similarly, the greatest gift you have to give this year is yourself. 
I want to hopefully set a few of us free who you might find yourself in a spot where it's going, man, many of us feel like maybe are unable to travel or to be with family or relatives at Christmas in the way that we usually would this year. And because of that, the pressure can kind of ramp up where you feel like, man, I got to buy more and more gifts to send to sort of make up for that absence and not being there. But this has also been an economically tough year. And I know many folks were struggling financially and there can be a pressure in our consumer society, a pressure that says this kind of myth or this lie that says, man, how much you love someone is measured by how much money you're willing to spend on them. That's not true. That's not true. And this morning, you can get out from under that lie. There could be the temptation that you got to ramp up all this credit card debt and go into debt to try and express you love someone. And I believe God is inviting you this year, if that's you, to possibly spend less, but give more, right? To spend less, but give more. What I mean by that is spend less, maybe less in the checkbook, less of your credit card, less whatever. But there are other ways to give relationally, to mirror an image of the God who gave us the ultimate gift, gave of himself relationally to be with us. When I think back on being a kid, probably for you too, the biggest memories were not, I can't even remember the stuff we got under the tree, but you remember like the making cookies together and the cider and the cocoa and the playing games and being together. And even if you can't be together, there are different ways, different types of gifts to give. I think of one father who gave his son a baseball mitt, you know, it just the mitt, but saying with it came a commitment to, hey, we're going to play together. We're going we're gonna to be out in the field this, this many times a week to spend that time together. Or I think of others with relatives who have written long, in-depth letters pouring out their heart of what they appreciate about your mom or your dad or your family member or have made scrapbooks with memories and things that may cost a lot less on the bank account, but actually can express more of giving ourselves relational. And when we do things like that, we are mirroring the God who gave us the greatest gift at Christmas by giving us himself. God is a relational giver. Okay, well, Mark actually quotes two Old Testament passages here. He quotes uh, Isaiah, but he also quotes Malachi. Verse two, uh, he quotes Malachi three, verse one. And then, then in Mark one, verse three, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse three. And you could be saying, well, why then, Josh? Why does he just say like, as it's written in Isaiah? Well, that was a common Jewish practice back then. You could like cite multiple passages, but you just put the header of like the big one or the main one or the one you wanted to emphasize. But he is also quoting here Malachi. And that's significant because Isaiah was seen as the greatest of the prophets, but Malachi was seen as the last of the prophets. It was the last prophet in your Old Testament canon in the books before we get to the coming of Christ. I believe Mark is saying here that the greatest of the prophets and the last of the prophets all point us towards the coming of Christ. And they both mention this messenger or this voice that we see in in John the Baptist who's saying, roll out the red carpet, prepare the runway, because here comes your king. Mark is telling us that this baby is the fulfillment of prophetic hope. So let's take a look at Malachi, the last of the prophets, Malachi 3, and see this passage, a little more of the context that Mark is quoting. When we peek inside this wrapping paper that Malachi kind of peeks open, rips a little hole in the box, what is revealed about who Jesus is? Malachi 3 verse 1 reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify, note that, purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Well, here we find that Jesus is the sanitizing savior. He's the sanitizing savior who has come to purify the people of God. Jesus has come to purify his people. Malachi uses the images of refiner's fire and fuller's soap here for that. Now, both of these were purifying agents. The refiner's fire was how you burnt off the dross and the other things to draw out the pure silver. And the fuller's soap was what you used to kind of clean off the oil and the dirt from clothes and scrub and cleanse and beat out any of the impurities so that could shine fresh new again. Uh, Today, we might use the image of hand sanitizer, right? Like how many of your hands are raw in this season from all of the hand sanitizer, sanitizing everywhere? Talked with uh, healthcare workers here who said, man, our hands are all raw because just the protocols, how often every day we got to keep our hands sanitized and scrubbed and clean. It seems like everywhere you go right now, the little pumps and the bottles, like in the store, the office, in the house, even here in the lobby at church, you know, we got these these hand sanitizer bottles to wash and keep yourself clean. They got the ethanol and the hydrogen peroxide. They've got the quaternary ammonium that I had to learn how to say. (laughs) But we do this for a reason. It's because there is impurity around There is a disease that wants to destroy. There's a virus that is contagious. And that's a pretty powerful image for sin. Because sin is like an infection on the loose wreaking havoc. But Jesus is divine disinfectant, right? Like Mark would say, he is like divine disinfectant, able to purify. He is better than bleach. He's cleaner than Clorox, right? He's stronger than seventh generation. Jesus is the sanitizing savior who can scrub and cleanse and purify his people to make us whole. Jesus has come to purify the people of God. Malachi says that he'll purify the sons of Levi. Who's that? Well, sons of Levi were the Levites, the priests. And it says the Lord will come to his temple and he'll purify the priests. So Jesus is coming to clean up his house. The priests were the representatives for Israel to the people of God. Jesus has come to deal with the corruption amongst his own people so that their glory can shine again from him to the world. Mark is saying, by quoting this passage, this baby is going to be a house cleaner. It's going to be a domestic servant who's come to clean up his house to make it spick and span. This judgment begins with the household of God. Jesus has come to clean his own house first. And you know, after every service here, we have a crew that comes in and they clean and they sanitize the place to make it clean and spotless and purify and get it ready for the next 
service so that it could be a safe space for all of us to gather and worship it. Now, that crew, they are like an image of Jesus who has come to his temple, come to his people to cleanse not only the space that we gather in, but us as a people ourselves before him. Jesus has come to purify the people of God. And I wonder, has anyone seen Jesus purifying his church lately? As I look out across the spectrum, across the land, I just believe Jesus is purifying his church right now. Jesus today is exposing. Jesus is exposing. He's exposing corruption. He's exposing fornication. He's exposing abuse. He's exposing arrogance amongst church leaders. He's bringing our skeletons out in the closet to deal with it, right? Jesus is exposing us as the people of God. He is exposing our reliances on our practices more than his presence, calling us into a deeper dependence on him and his spirit as his people to guide, dwell, and move, and shake, and power in our lives and through us to the world. Jesus is exposing in his church, amongst his people, he is exposing cultural ideologies that have become political idolatries and calling us ultimately to our allegiance, our ultimate allegiance would be to him as the king of kings and lord of lords who has the right to rule over all creation because God the Father has exalted him to the highest throne, the highest name above every name. He's calling us to a purity of allegiance. Jesus is exposing how quick we are to gossip and to slander and to back away from the table of the people of God at the first sign of trouble. Now, a quick note on this, right? Like, man, as I look across the nation today, there is a lot of gossip and slander going on. I have seen a number of examples where people are accusing church leaders often of saying, man, they're saying this or they're about this. And then you go watch the video clip they're talking about or you watch the thing they said or you're like, they're not saying that at all. Are you talking about the innocent at all? But people are reading into stuff because of the heightened momentum we're in. And that's been happening as well. You guys have been great, but there has been some of that within redemption and stuff as well. And that is gossip and slander. If you're saying they said stuff that they didn't say and that they wouldn't say they said, and that when you watch back what they said they said, they didn't actually say what they said they said, people have said that about me. People said, Josh, I heard Josh said this and this and this. I never said that. Where? Like on this sermon, this video, we go back and watch. He didn't say that. Now, here's the thing with gossip and slander. If you hear it, if it comes to you, that's okay. Like, bring it to us, bring it to the person, bring it to whoever it is and go, hey, I heard this, is this true? That's totally fine. But here's the thing, if you pass it on and you spread it, you are committing gossip and slander. And Jesus stands against you because he has come to purify his people and he stands against the spirit of division and gossip and slander that would seek to tear apart and rip apart the unity of the body that he gave his life to die for. Jesus has come to purify us as his people. Now, the good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus purifies us, even more so it's how Jesus purifies us. How Jesus purifies us. Because you see, this baby will grow and he will make us pure by bearing our impurity. He will soak up the sickness of sin into his own flesh, into his own skin to bear it on the cross on our behalf. This baby will grow to bear the rebellion of the world that he might cleanse us as his people and make us whole. 
a buddy of mine made a movie years ago, a short film called Chicken Pox Pal. And you can find this on Vimeo uh, online out there. But he made this movie, Chicken Pox Pal, and it's like a 10-minute video that won some awards. It's a short film, but it, it's funny. So the story opens, this family uh, kind of opens their front door, and there's this box out front. It's package, right? So they get the crowbar, and they kind of lift up in the lid, and they open the box. And inside, there is a child, like a six, seven-year-old, so, you know, a boy, this kid in the box. And he is infected with chicken pox. And you come to find they had ordered him as a chicken pox pal. Because they have their son and they want their son to get infected in a controlled environment so they can kind of get rid of the virus and deal with it and whatever else. And so they bring this boy into their home and him and their son become friends and they're like brushing their teeth together and playing and hugging and having a sleepover and doing all their stuff together uh, and, until their son gets infected with the chicken box. Only the twist or the turn in the story is that... Uh, their own son is kind of a brat. <laughs> like he's, he's rude, he's mean, he's inconsiderate. And they end up falling in love with the chicken pox pal more. And so later when their son is infected, they put him back in the box and they send him back and they take on the other son, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> here's the thing. The gospel works in the opposite direction. The gospel works in the opposite direction. That at Christmas, it is like we... Look at the gift that God has delivered, the package on the front doorstep, and we open it up and we do find there is a child inside. Only he is not infected, he is pure. And we bring him into the home. He comes into the home to purify us, that we are the family who is infected. We have the disease, the virus, the thing running rampant amongst us. And Jesus has come with a contagious holiness to spread his purity, his righteousness, his goodness, his justice, his kingdom amongst us as his people. He has come to heal us and make us whole. And for those of us who have been naughty, not nice, <laughs> the brats of the family, so to speak, which is really all of us when you get down to it, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. The end game is not that we get shipped up in the packages and shipped out and off, but no, he cleanses us and makes us whole as children of God, to be the family together in the household of God forever. Jesus has come to share his purity and his wholeness with us. And when we see this, this should draw us to worship. Malachi ends saying that then they will come and bring their offerings in true worship to him. And so we're invited in the season to come and worship Christ, the baby who will grow to bear our iniquity and impurity and cleanse us and make us whole as his people forever. Let us come and adore him. He is worthy of our worship. Okay, well, Mark quotes Malachi, but he highlights and spotlights Isaiah. And there's one more aspect of Isaiah 40 that he quotes I want to draw our attention to this morning. I believe it shines more light on and it pulls back the wrapping paper, punctures another little hole in the box. We get another powerful glimpse into who Jesus is. So Isaiah 40, verse 9, shortly after the passage Mark quotes, it says this. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Zion, the mountain is Jerusalem, Mount Zion. 
Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. You and I are summoned, Isaiah says, to welcome the king. We are summoned to welcome the king. This is a picture of uh, an announcement, announcing the royal arrival of the rightful king. Isaiah tells the herald to go up on the mountain. And the picture here was when the king back in the day was coming to his city, was coming to his capital, was returning home, that the herald would go up and blow the trumpets and make the announcement, everybody, look, the king is coming, roll off the carpet, make way, and all the people would go outside the city to meet with the king and to join the procession to welcome him in. The picture here is of God returning his king to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, and the announcement going forth, everyone, here he comes, prepare to welcome the king. This Christmas, we want to welcome the king. We want to be a community who welcomes the king at Christmas. One of the ways we want to do this is recognizing God has come to make his home with us. The picture here is God coming as king to make his home and dwell with us as his people. So one of the ways we want to celebrate and welcome him as king is what Will and or I'm sorry, what Warren and Jim talked about earlier for affordable Christmas this year. We want to help people here in Tempe, here in our city who are facing eviction, be able to stay in their homes. We want to do this as an expression of love, trying to mirror and celebrate the story of the God who has come to make his home with us. This is a way for us to welcome the king. Jesus has given us his birthday wish list, right? Like Christmas is Jesus' birthday. And he told us, hey, when you give to the least of these, you're given to me. When you give to those who are poor, who are hurting, who are vulnerable, who are in tough circumstances, you've given to me. So we want to celebrate Christmas this year by giving gifts to Jesus the way he asked us to, by caring for those who are in tough straits this season, who are facing the possibility of eviction and homelessness. As Will shared last week, the average age in our nation uh, is 11 years old for families, people who are on the streets. And so I want to support that as a way of celebrating the story of the God who has come to make his home with us. This season, we also want to welcome the king by being heralds, right? By being heralds. Isaiah talks here about be a herald, go up and shout the good news that Christ has come. We want to be heralds who announce the good news of Christmas by, uh, as Jim and Warren also said earlier, these uh, cards This is a great way to announce the coming of the king. This is a way to share with someone that, possibly someone who doesn't know Jesus, but be able to share something that you've seen in their lives that reflects God's common grace, a characteristic, a story, an aspect of how they've impacted you. And in a way that says, hey, in in their honor, you've given to help families who are hurting and facing eviction. Uh, But also we've done this to celebrate the story of Christmas and the reality of God with us. This can be a way of announcing and celebrating the arrival of our King. Well, Jesus is hope fulfilled. He's so fulfilled. And so the question I want to leave you with this morning is where is your hope? And particularly this, are you hoping more in Christmas or in New Year's? 
Is your hope set more in Christmas or in New Year's? And here's what I mean. Many of us right now, myself included, have been talking about, man, I cannot wait for 2021. <laughs> like we're almost there. We're going to turn a corner. There is a vaccine coming. Maybe the pandemic will be done. And there's an excitement around 2021. Almost like if we can just get to January 1st, boom, there is a new year coming. It'll be a turning the corner and all. And I, I'm, I'm there too. I'm hopeful. We'll see. We'll see where things are coming. But here's the thing. I'm done making predictions. <laughs> I am done making predictions. Last year, January 2020, 20, whatever, we, we were all having these like, you know, churches in America, 2020 vision campaigns. Like, here's what's happening this year. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to be about. Here's what we're going to do. And bam, like, dude, we realized our eyesight, it was more like 20 over 100. <laughs> like, we couldn't even see like the biggest letter at the top of the eye chart when you're in the eye doctor and in the chair. Like, we couldn't even make out like the top letter. It's all blur. We, we had no clue what was coming. So for me, man, my greatest hope is not in New Year. It's in Christmas. And here's why. Like, you may not know what's coming, but you know who has come, right? Like, we may not know what's coming in 2021, but we know who has come and who is coming again. That God has come in Christ to dwell with us as his people, and he is here with you and with I this morning in the presence and the power of his spirit, and he will stay with us until he gets us to kingdom come. And he is here with us, his presence and his spirit, but he is coming again to restore and accomplish his final victory over evil, and death will be defeated, and all things will be made new. And the Christmas story means that God is with us and will be with us forever. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? I want to invite you to become like a kid at Christmas again. With the excitement and the anticipation, wondering what is in that biggest present under the tree. I want to invite you to get out the scissors and come and like my brother, like pull off a little of the tape and cut a little hole in the box. Here's the thing. God is different than your parents. Your parents were always like, don't try and figure out what's in the present. Wait till Christmas, right? But God's the opposite. God's like, try and take a peek. I want you to look inside. I got the prophets. I got the, I got the whole story pointing. Like, rip open little things. Look for glimpses of the glory of what is inside. Or better yet, who is inside. Just one way to do that, we prepared an Advent devotional guide this year, and it's got reflections and scripture, ways to just reflect on who Jesus is and process through that in the season, daily, weekly, whatever pace you're able to do. But we want to be filled with anticipation and try and peek inside the box that Jesus, who has come to be with us. And when we look inside and we explore more of who Jesus is, the result is worship. Isaiah lands the plane here saying, behold your God. Malachi finishes his going, they will bring offerings in true worship. Mark is telling us, introducing us to Jesus, go, when you see this baby, you see the hope of the world fulfilled. Come and adore him. Bring him your worship. Bring him the best you have to give. Come and worship him. Bringing him not just your stuff, but bringing him yourself. Because he didn't just give you the stuff. He gave you himself Christmas. Come and adore him. Not just like, ah, oh, isn't he cute? Look at the cute little baby. No, come and adore him. 
recognizing who he is and what he has come to do and laying all of your life before him in reverence and wonder and awe. We've Mark inviting us to come and humble ourselves before the one who humbled himself for us, to walk in our flesh, to enter our story, to join with us and dwell with us and ultimately to bear our iniquity and purify us, to be with us forever. As we come to communion this morning, the invitation is to our hope fulfilled. You're invited to Jesus who came to save you, to purify you, to establish his kingdom for you. We come this morning to Jesus, Israel's God and the God of all creation who has come to save and dwell with us as his people. We come to Jesus, the Lord, who has come to his temple, not only to clean his temple, but to make us his temple, a holy house of pure worship. We come to Jesus, the king who has arrived to establish his kingdom and reign with us forever. So if you have the elements, I want to invite you to take the bread. This is a sign of Christ's body given for you. You may receive the bread. And now take the wine or the juice, a sign of Christ's blood shed for us to dwell with us forever. You may receive the wine. come to worship, Jesus is our hope fulfilled. He is more than we could have hoped for. He's better than the best stuff you could have put on your Christmas wish list. He is the hope of the world. Would you join me in prayer?